Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Hard Pills podcast where we are exploring practical insight about racial justice and social change. I'm your host, Andre Henry. As you know, hopefully, but some of you might be new, so maybe you don't know that. Hi, I'm Andre. We haven't met. Before we get into it, our podcast is powered by our wonderful patrons at Patreon. Thank you all so much for helping make the show happen. If you want to be a part of the work that Hope and Heart fills by helping us create this kind of media, feel free to hop on over to patreon.com slash Andre Henry and become a patron. I'm joined today with Amanda Littman from Run For Something. I'm so excited that she's here because I've had this book for Run For Something for years now, and I've been on their email list for years now, and we're going to have a very important conversation about running for something. So hi, Amanda. Thanks so much for joining us. I am so glad to be here. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. You know, I'm just back at work after taking a couple weeks off to get married, so getting back. Oh my gosh. How did we just casually slide this in here? Congratulations. I am unashamed about it. It is not a thing I ever thought I would do, so I'm very excited. But I'm glad to be back at work, and I think it's, you know, the weeks I was off reinforced for me just how important the work that Run for Something does is. Yes. So yes, glad yes. to be back at it. So let's talk about that. What What is the work of Run for Something? How would you describe it? So Run for Something is an organization that recruits and supports young, diverse progressives running for local office all across the country. What that means in practice is we identify folks 40 years old and younger who might be thinking about running for things like school board, city council, state house, state senate, all for the very first time. And we help them go from thinking about it to on the ballot all the way through to election day. So why the focus on local politics? Well, there's a couple reasons. One is pragmatically Mm -hmm. um, for most first time candidates who's never done this before. It is the entry point. Um, Mm -hmm. It is more affordable. It's a little bit easier. Most first time candidates for local office are not full time candidates. You know, these are the positions where members of Congress and governors and senators get their starting point. So if we want better members of Congress and governors and senators, we need better state legislators and city council members. But I think more importantly, The politics of this is really, really critical. You know, state legislatures and city councils and school boards make decisions that directly affect people's lives um, on everything from police budgets to voting rights to women's health care to criminal justice reform and everything in between. These positions can make or break your day-to-day lived experience. So it really matters to have good people in them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So important in our world with the Hope and Heart Pills community, like we we say a lot that everyone has a role to play. And what I hear you pointing to is something that um, I learned from deck activist Daniel Hunter that, you know, movements need advocates. We need people with institutional power in places uh, with some type of power to be able to move that change that we want along. What I'm thinking of right now is that I'm sure that there are a bunch of people listening who have never thought about running for office before, but they want to see the world uh, change, but they've never thought about running for office. Should they? (laughs) Should they think about that? Yes, everyone should think about running for office. Why should everyone think about running for office? 
because government is for everyone. So everyone should be a part of it, mm. which feels really like, you know, cheesy to say, but, yeah. you know, for so long, the structures of our institutions, you know, the makeup of our city councils or state legislatures or school boards have been solely filled by and determined by and set up for primarily rich old white men. Mm. And that's you know, the outcomes of those uh, institutions have delivered for rich old white men. Mm. It is no wonder that so many city councils, for example, have deprioritized or had really skewed positions on affordable housing when so many mm. of the people who serve on these boards are homeowners and aren't yeah. thinking about renters. It is no wonder that so many state legislatures have not tackled the issue of student loans or student debt yeah. because most of the people serving in them don't have student loans or didn't have to pay the hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a college education. Mm. You know, lived experience directly informs legislative priorities. So it matters that we have people who share our lived experience. Um, and I know it's really scary for a lot mm -hmm. of people to think about running for office, especially if you've never seen someone who looks like you or lives like you in office. Yeah. But that's why it's even more important that you do it, um, yeah. because your perspective is desperately needed in leadership. And it is much easier and much more affordable and much more possible than you might think. So I want to ask you uh, about that. Um, well, a couple of things about that. One is, what are some of the common obstacles you see to getting someone who maybe they haven't thought about running for office before to go on or, yeah, to embark on this kind of endeavor? Well, I think for a lot of folks, they feel like, you know, it's out of the realm of possibility financially. Mm -hmm. Um, that it's really expensive, and especially if you've only really paid attention to congressional races or presidential. You might think you need millions and millions or hundreds of millions of dollars to run for office. Mm -hmm. But 75% of school board races cost $1,000 or less. 85%. Whoa. I know they're cheap. I mean, well, I was not expecting for you to say a thousand. <laughs> like, that's way well, less than I expected. And, you know, there's a lot of variation here. A school board race in Los Angeles can cost a million dollars, but mm -hmm. most places are not LA and not New York and not Miami. Um, mm -hmm. These races are relatively accessible and you're not paying for them out of pocket. You are asking your network, your community, your friends and family to invest in their community, to invest in their future. Um, it's scary and hard, but it's not impossible. And it's much more reasonable than you might imagine. A lot of people also think they may not have the resume for it. Mm -hmm. That's total bullshit. I hope it's okay that I curse. Oh, um, yeah. Please, feel free. <laughs> total bullshit. There Put is your no feet up and curse. <laughs> there is nowhere in the rules that say you need to have 10 years of work experience to run for office. There's nowhere that says you need a college degree to run for office or a political science degree to run for office. Right. What you need is to care about the problems and be willing to put in the work. As you were saying that, I couldn't help but like everyone think of our last president. Like you don't need any qualifications to run for office. <laughs> That's right. You know, if there's only one tiny itsy bitsy silver lining of the last four years or last five years is that so many members of Republican members of Congress and are certainly the Republican president lowered mm. the bar. <laughs> I don't ask that truly any moron can run for office. <laughs> so, why am I 
this moron? Why not you, a moron who cares? And it's probably not a moron to begin with. It's probably incredibly smart and passionate yes. and who cares about serving your kids. Exactly. Okay, so I really want to ask you about this because you mentioned New York, you mentioned mm-hmm. LA, and yes, I mean, I live in Los Angeles. That feels daunting to me, like doing anything in politics in LA because it's so big, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which if you're in LA listening to this, you should still run for office if you're thinking about it, maybe. But I want to ask you specifically about the small cities because I, I feel just a feeling, no, no knowledge behind this at all. Um, but I feel like there might be some people listening who live in smaller cities and communities who might be underestimating how important their locales could be to creating change wherever they are. Um, do you find that when you're talking to people? and Or just what are your thoughts about that, about folks who... Because I think some people assume, well, the people who should run for office are in the major cities. Are the smaller cities important too? Every city is important. Every town is important. You know, I have often found that folks running in smaller, you know, suburban, rural, urban communities have a chance to make a really big impact, in part because the number of voters you need is pretty small. So you can literally talk to every single person who's going to show up at the polls. Mm -hmm. And then the impact of that governing is really personal. It's things like, you know, are the streets getting paved? Is the traffic getting picked up? What's the schools like? You know, especially the last year and a half, we've seen the impact of school boards on the ways in which schools are opening and closing and mask mandates and vaccine requirements. You know, all of that often comes from school boards. Mm -hmm. These positions, um, we often say the lower on the ballot, the closer to your home. Oh. It It is really the kinds of small things, big impact that can change your life. And I think like, even in a city like LA, you think about the neighborhood councils in DC, it's the area and neighborhood commissions, I believe. In New York, it's things like community board, but running for city council of a small town in Iowa or running for town select person in a small town in New Hampshire is just as, if not even more meaningful. Um, those decisions matter. Hmm. I wanna ask you about I mean, and this may be basic, but what what is the role? Like when you say, okay, people think it's going to cost so much. This has always been something that's been a little bit mind boggling for me about campaigning. Like what what are the costs involved? And I don't think just, I mean, just financially, you know, because you've got to get some people who are willing to campaign for you and all that kind of stuff. Could you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously the financial costs of what you have, might have to outlay or the time you might have to take off work if you have a full-time job, mm-hmm. um, although not everyone does, and most people do not take time off work. But I also think there's mm-hmm. the emotional and physical toll. Um, yeah. Physically, you're going to be knocking doors and making calls. You're going to spend a lot of time either on the phone or on the doors or both. Um, that's exhausting. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. uncommon have our candidates show photos of the shoes they have quite literally worn out or worn through. Um, That is just how it goes. You're going to eat a lot of crappy food. You might not have time to exercise. You might not have time to do the self-care that you need. Um, Mm. It's a drain. Emotionally, you are putting yourself out there. You're asking people for things, and more often than not, you're going to get rejected. You're going to hear no 
hundred times a day if you're doing it right. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're going to be really surprised and disappointed at the people who decline to help you or the people who say no. And you're going to be yeah. really pleasantly surprised by the people who step up for you. Yes. Um, you know, I think it is a real sacrifice to put yourself out in the public light and often yep. to put your family and your loved ones in the public light as well. Mm. But one of my favorite things has been really talking to our candidates and our alumni. Um, and in particular, you know, I host a Run for Something podcast, which I do these interviews with our folks. Um, and I think a lot about when I did with three trailblazers, these three trans women who ran for office and won over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, one of whom, Sarah McBride, who ran for and run and and won a seat for the Delaware State Senate. And she said, if you want to fall in love with your community, run for office. Oh, wow. Like, that's such a beautiful way of putting it. Like, if you yeah. really want to fall in love with the place you call home. Wow. And like, what, what a beautiful sentiment. It sounds like, you know, as you describe it, that there are benefits for running for something, even if you don't even get close to winning. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, there's benefits both for you as an individual, as like your growth as a professional, the skills that you develop, the relationships that you build, you know, the knowledge that you gain, learning about the issues, learning about your home, sort of the, the connection that you have. Um, but there's also real benefits for your community, even if you lose. Now, you may have pushed yes. a debate on issues that weren't being talked about. Uh, you held an incumbent or someone from the opposing party accountable. Um, mm-hmm. You gave people in your community something to galvanize around. You know, we mm-hmm. talk about organizing um, and like building movement. And there's a lot of ways in which you can do that. You can do that around issues. You can do that around causes. You can do that around ballot initiatives, mm-hmm. around you know, legislative fights. But electoral campaigns are a really powerful galvanizing point in no small part because they have a distinct beginning, a middle, an end, a clear target, you know, pretty clear metrics of success or failure. And, you know, it's a it's an easy way in many ways to mm-hmm. bring people into the process. It's a compelling story to tell. So when you think about ways in which you can build community engagement, Electoral campaigns are a really powerful vehicle for that. And a good candidate, you, is the center of that story. Yes. I want to ask you about this. And I feel like you've already touched on this a lot, but I'm just wondering if you might have anything to add. Because um, especially especially now that we're we're in Biden's president presidency. Gosh, that was hard to say for a second. <laughs> um, we're we're in Biden's presidency. And I think that some people are looking at the fact that so much organization went into electing Biden and then maybe we didn't see the changes that they expected to, you know, and there were already a lot of people ahead of the 2020 election saying, I don't know if voting even matters. I know we've been talking about local politics because they're so important, but I think that for so many people, their their center of gravity in this conversation is national politics. And so the thing that I'm bringing up here is I think that so many people have just lost faith uh, in the elector- in electoral processes altogether. And I wonder, you know what you would say to someone who, you know, because of, you know, thinking of the national, the national level and how it feels like sometimes 
it just seems like politics is not attuned to the will of the people, right? Mm -hmm. So what would you say to someone who's like, oh, we need to just forget about voting altogether. The electoral elections don't do anything. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really valid place to be starting from. Um, It is so frustrating. And that kind of cynicism is an intended goal of the other side. They want you to think that this doesn't matter. They want you to think that your participation is irrelevant. They want you to feel demoralized. Wow. Don't give in to that. Don't let them win. And I think, you know, it's really (laughs) tempting to, to say, we can't solve these problems immediately. Solving this is so hard. I don't even want to try. Yeah. But what's the alternative? Mm. The alternative to say, I don't care. I don't want to want a better life for me and my family, mm-hmm. my home. You know, I would never, I work in electoral politics. I spent my entire career in electoral politics. It's what mm-hmm. I will likely devote the rest of my life to, and, you know, God willing. I yeah. would never be the first to say that this is the only solution. Right. It's not, right. but it has to be part of the solution. Mm. Because what is all of the advocacy and the protesting and the marching for, if not to get better outcomes from our elected leaders? Mm. Mm-hmm. We do the culture work to shape, to change the environment in which they're making the decisions. We do yeah. the protesting to change the political calculus for them. And then mm. we vote to show them that we are paying attention and that there are consequences to their actions. Yes, yes. So yeah. like, yeah, I know that the Biden presidency has in many ways been, you know, hit or miss on a lot of issues. One, it's still early. But two, there is so much opportunity for progress and real proof of progress on the local level. And I think mm-hmm. one of the things I have found and that I know so many folks who have been newly engaged over the last five years have found is that paying attention to national politics and participating in national politics is really demoralizing because we don't get wins very often. It moves slow. Mm. And that's in part because Republicans are obstacles to progress, but also because Mm -hmm. it was designed to move slow. Yes. There has been so many victories on the local level that have made people's lives better. You Mm. know, everything from vaccine mandates, which obviously have saved lives, but also things like um, ending cash bail in Virginia. you know, the the changing of the way that the Minneapolis um, Sheriff's Department handles trans inmates, you know, mm. the intake process. Berkeley, the city council has uh, taken police officers out of traffic enforcement, which mm. is a huge way in which most people interact with the police. For the wow. So there's been so much stuff like that, that it just feels good. You get wins and the wins sustain the movement. Wow. Yeah. And it sounds like there is kind of a bunch of good news that we're not hearing about. (laughs) That's exactly right. There's so much good news. And I think it's one of the joys of getting to do this work is like, we get to win a lot and winning is great. I love winning. We should all be so lucky to win. I I must say, I am a fan of winning. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. Um, What conversations are you having, if any, uh, at Run for Something about the midterm season? So many. 
And I think it's worth noting that there are always elections. Mm -hmm. Um, 2022 is where deemed the midterms. And yes, it's like made of the congressional term. But Mm -hmm. Run for Something has had hundreds of endorsed candidates go through election days already in 2021. Mm -hmm. We expect to have more than 300 on the ballot this November. Yes, Virginia state legislature. Yes, New Jersey state legislature. But also something like 30 other states also have local elections. Mm. Um, So there was elections year round. Mm. But we are also doing aggressive candidate recruitment for 2022. We Mm. want to make sure that we can field as many local candidates and state legislative candidates as possible in a year that will really be make or break for democracy. So Mm. no time like the present. (laughs) Right. Um, So I always like to ask guests, you know, near the end of our conversation about hope and you know, I want to kind of clarify this because to me, hope is not just a feeling. I've said this many ways, but my therapist put it away the other day that I'm totally going to steal. And she said that hope is a cognitive function of struggle. And I really appreciated that because for me, hope is just about understanding our power and the possibility of what we can do with our power and taking a chance on it. So I want to ask you, because I feel like there is a lot of hope in the things that you said, you know, that's threaded through there. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what is keeping you hopeful these days or giving you hope? The work I do is inherently hopeful. Mm -hmm. We believe that there is a better possibility for what government can be and can do if we get good people involved. But I have been so inspired by the fact that 2021 has been run for something's best candidate recruitment year yet. Wow. We are uh, about to announce later today that more than 80,000 people have signed up to run for office in the lifetime of this organization. Oh my gosh. We started 2021 at a little around 60,000. Wow. This year has been record breaking for us. And, you know, oh I, would have, gosh. I would have thought that maybe we would have, you know, tailed off a little bit. You know, Trump's out of office. People are sleepy. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to run for office anymore. That was just like a, you know, quote unquote resistance trend. But no, people have seen what good government can do and what bad government can do. Mm-hmm. They have seen why these positions matter. And they have said, I am willing to step up and lead. And that to me is so inspiring. And so hopeful because it means that assuming democracy survives another couple of years, there is so much possibility for the future and we get a chance to, to mold it the way we want it to be. Wow. Thanks so much for sharing that. Where can people follow the work of Run for Something? Run for Something is on every social media platform. We're on Instagram at Run for Something Now, Twitter at Run for Something. And if you're thinking about running for office, you can go to our website, which is runforsomething.net, or you can go directly to the candidate um, search tool. So if you enter your address at runforwhat.net, you'll find what offices are available to run for in your community in 2022. Um, You'll also then get added to our candidate pipeline. So you'll get lots of information and resources and trainings and tons of materials. Um, whether you're thinking about running in 2022 or 2024 or 2028 or 2038, um, mm. we are going to be there to help you the entire step of the way. So sign up and uh, think about it. Wow. 
Well, Amanda, thanks so much for, for joining us. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I feel like I learned so much. I feel inspired. I hope everybody listening feels that way. Yeah, and hopefully we'll keep in touch. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Hope and Heart Feels podcast. Our music for this episode is from me. I'm the featured artist this time, but um, in the future, we're going to be featuring more artists. And I am so excited to, uh, I keep saying see y'all next time, even though I know technically you're listening and it doesn't make any sense, but I'll see y'all next time. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like what you heard and you haven't already, please subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. Also, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts helps us get in more ears and minds. You can find all the links in the show notes for today's guest, as well as Andre's newsletter, Patreon, and book. You can connect with Andre on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TheAndreHenry. That's all for this episode of the Hope and Hard Pills podcast. We'll see you next time.